Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 41, One Does Not Simply Let Love Heal You. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. So in this chapter, we are focused in on Eowyn and Faramir, and the bulk of this chapter is really just them talking and spending time together because this takes place after the armies have left Gondor, and over the duration of this chapter, we see that uh, the evil is defeated. But this is really focused in very closely on how Eowyn and Faramir get to know each other and get to fall in love. And then at the very end of the chapter, the armies come back, um, and we kind of get a couple of pages of Aragorn waiting for a sign. Um, and that sign ends up being the arrival of Arwen. And the chapter ends with Aragorn and Arwen getting married. Who's Arwen? Um, I don't I remember hearing about her at all. Yeah, I mean, she's a new character. She really hasn't shown up in the book so far. Yeah, they based her on a character <laughs> in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe we start at the, the back and go to the front then. Um because I think we maybe had different opinions on that kind of chapter wrap up as far as Arwen appears and she and Aragorn get married to close the chapter out. Um, and I think we we have a split vote here on whether or not we liked that. So we want to talk about that. Okay. Well, I mean, I can I can offer the optimistic view first because I I liked it. Um, I I feel like well, for one thing, I want to say I think that the structure of this chapter is is really, really nice. The fact that it's, you know, like you said, like three quarters, just focusing in on Eowyn and Faramir. It's this very like personal narrative and you get like a lot of dialogue between them. And then it like zooms out and it does this kind of interspersed in a way too. But at the very, at like kind of the end in the last quarter of the chapter, it zooms out in a big way and you get the, the rest of the view comes from just this sort of third person narrator, right? As mm-hmm. Ar- Aragorn gets crowned king and marries Arwen, and the transition—I feel like just to give it its due—the transition between that very personal first section and then the very impersonal last section that's written more like a legend is so smooth. And mm-hmm. I think that the uh, the fact that Arwen and Aragorn's marriage or wedding is not really given a lot of the same personal touches that Eowyn and Faramir get—I think this it kind of works in that context, right? Because it's part of this like more mythical narration that happens. And I think it would also, I mean, really like, I think our problem is more with the fact that Arwen has never been a character in this series, because if she all of a sudden showed up and was a whole ass character, I feel like that would be weird now. Um, so I appreciated <laughs> the fact- It's too late. Yeah, it's too late. And I think that like the fact that they, the fact that you get this paragraph about Aragorn and Arwen and it's not- it it actually just I think it just says, um, and then and and Aragorn Elisar wed Arwen and Domiel and brought an end to their long periods of waiting and labor, and it's sort of like, 
oh, if you had never read the books or watched the movies before, you'd be like, oh, wow, this was going on in Aragorn's head the whole time. And I like that about it. Um, but now you can destroy it if you want. Uh, <laughs> no, I liked all the things that you just mentioned. Um, I The first ha- like two thirds of this chapter that focuses on Eowyn and Faramir is like some of Tolkien's best writing in my opinion. It's so good. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. The part where we like go to the coronation, I felt like he weirdly transitioned stylistically into like a screenplay style of writing, where like we have this character of Ireth or Ireth, like basically telling the story of the hobbits to her friend and getting constantly interrupted by Faramir giving speeches, and then like Aragorn does this bait and switch with Baragon, where he's like, "You're gonna be punished." Just kidding, by being captain of Faramir's art, like, squad or whatever. And I, I, it just was so out of nowhere where I was like, is, is he trying to be funny? Like, what is this? What stylistically is happening here? Um, and then the, the introduction of Arwen at the end. Okay, so it's not the way that this happened in the chapter that bothered me. It's the fact that Arwen was the sign that he was waiting for, that he is ready to take on this massive task of being the king of this realm and we just haven't heard about her for 2.5 books like she's she was the sign she's that important (laughs) no okay correction right no okay okay whatever the little tree is the sign but (laughs) the tree is the sign yeah right the tree blossoming is the sign but also yeah it reads kind of like she is the wrap-up of this like, she's the culmination of him being ready to be king. And they're like, yes, finally she has arrived at the end of this chapter. And I'm like, this mm-hmm. character is clearly very important to Aragorn's story. Where the hell has she been? I mean, doesn't Frodo say at the very end of the chapter, like the very, very last page, um, he says something like, sorry, he says, at last I understand why we have waited. This is the ending. Which, great, beautiful, love that wrap-up. It's it's really well done in this chapter. But again, would have been a little bit more powerful if we knew who the fuck this was and why she's important. Right. That's yeah. just my take. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of torn because, Wanda, I really liked what you said about there's this kind of zooming out and it becomes almost like we start to see the beginning of the myth or the legend that will be told centuries from now. And in that sense... You're right. Like, they don't need to talk to each other. They don't need to exchange any dialogue because it is almost this impersonal, mythological telling of events. But then on the flip side, I sit there and I go, sure, in the context of mythology to say, like, a man is not he's not ready to wed her. Like, he's he himself is sitting there going, like, I am not worthy of marrying her until I am ready to take up my throne. That's a pretty common, like... You see that, right, that the marriage and the crowning or the coronation are often linked because it's this idea of, like, you're not worthy or you're not ready until that moment. But we don't have the groundwork for that. Like, Tolkien never kind of gave us Aragorn saying, well, you know, I can't be with Arwen right now and I'll only really know I'm ready to be with her when I'm ready to, like, she deserves a man who feels ready to be king. Right? Like, he could have said that shit back in book one, and I would have been, like, great. Or even said anything about thinking about her at all this whole time. 
uh, he has at one point, I think, looked at a tree and been like, remember in Lorien, he looked at a tree and he was like, ah, yes, my heart. No, yeah, that was who, it. Who has no name still, but <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, and knowing that, knowing that there's no more of Arwen, I think, in the main narrative, that sort of clinches it, I guess, uh, because for me, like, this is like you're saying, like it sort of the end of the chapter is sort of the beginning of learning about who Aragorn really is. There's this moment where like he says, oh, he put the crown on and everyone kind of saw him for who he was for the very first time. And so you get this feeling like, okay, we've had 2.5 books of Aragorn being this like faceless dude. And now we're finally going to get to know him because he's stepping into a role where he can like be a whole person as opposed to this like ranger figure where he was just sort of an animatronic badass and the thing is though like you never actually i don't think you ever actually learn about arwen like that's all in the in the appendices and so only like only readers who are planning to read on into the appendices are going to feel like jazzed by this moment everyone else is like what the fuck because they're it's it's like you're kicking off a period of getting to know this character that never actually takes place Right. And it feels like the payoff for this only happens if you have read the appendices and you know their history and the context, right? Like, with that context, this moment then feels a little bit more like it's payoff. But if you haven't really, like, if you were reading this book for the first time and Arwen shows back up and the last time Aragorn was even pining was, like, a book and a half ago... Mm It's been a minute, Mm -hmm. right, since there has been any kind of reference to her. And I don't know that you would necessarily feel like this was a whole lot of, like, emotional or character payoff. Yeah. Because if you haven't gotten to the appendices yet. As as annoyed as I am by Liv Tyler in the the movies, I do think it was the right choice to include the background of her, like, choosing mortality. Because there is Mm -hmm. a tragedy behind it. And I think... The fact that that's kind of, like, glossed over. I think it's, like, very briefly mentioned in Fellowship. Maybe. I don't remember. It's been a long time already. I mean, there's, like, the song about the one character, right? There's, like, the mythological figure Mm -hmm. who chose... Baron and Luthien, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's the closest we ever get. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it was just... Tolkien kind of just, like, wrote this and then remembered at the end (laughs) that Aragorn's supposed to marry Arwen. Yeah. But then by contrast, right, like Faramir and Eowyn haven't I don't think like ever really interacted up until this point, but I think we were all at least a little charmed by their little courtship and budding romance. And so I do think, I had totally forgotten about that middle section with Ireth and the weird <laughs> comedy, but... Eh. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, I'm like, what's there to say about that? It was kind of weird. Let's talk about the cute part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I now remember why I was excited to get to this part, like, <laughs> and why uh-huh. it just kept being like, when does Faramir and Erwin happen? It's now. You know what's funny? When I when I read these books when I was a kid, I did not... I remember the, the romance between them being, like, two lines, and it's, like, the line where he says, I love you, and it's the line where they kiss... And I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think I remembered it that way because when I was a kid, I literally did not recognize any of the dialogue taking place among (laughs) them before that as like romantic. But now I read it and I'm like, oh, this is so fucking sweet. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I was afraid that we were going to get to this chapter and it was going to be like one line. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, this is maybe the most functional relationship outside of Frodo and Sam that we've seen in these books. Yeah. And I think we've got to talk about the context of coming into this relationship is that Faramir and Eowyn are both in the process of recovery in the Houses of Healing. And they are both physically getting better. But the chapter basically starts with Eowyn saying, look, you've got to give me something to do to the healer. She's like, you've got to let me get up. You've got to let me do something because I am just like climbing the walls being stuck here. And it's with that mindset of a lot of distress that she is holding that she starts talking to Faramir. And over the course of just a couple of pages, it really feels like their relationship turns into something very healthy. But I don't know that it, not that the relationship starts out unhealthy, but I kind of got the sense that Eowyn doesn't start out in a very healthy place emotionally. Was that also your reading, you two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we should do like a little mini quick fire just around the just around the relationship <laughs> and share like our favorite moments with it cuz there's so many individual parts of it that I like just just lines that I thought were great. But yeah, I totally agree, Ashani. Mm-hmm. Like I I think that I mean, I guess I'll just say like my favorite moment was when uh he asks her at a certain point after they've been like talking and getting to know each other for a while, he says, you know, are he basically says, do you like me or do you like Aragorn? And she's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, well, I was really, really into Aragorn. And then he says, well, I understand that like he wasn't into you. And when you learned that he wasn't into you, you literally wanted to just go off and die. And would you be mm-hmm. interested in a romance that did not ever make you want to go off and die? And she goes, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. Like that's <laughs> that that's how I read that, like that dialogue. And that felt very that just personally like resonated a lot for me um mm-hmm. and you put it really well in your notes uh, i think it was navia saying like the the mansplaining that faramir does to her about her own feelings for aragorn is somewhat warranted because of the payoff i think she needed to hear that at that point because she wasn't really like conscious when aragorn was explaining that she wasn't really in love with him and that she was more in love with the idea of him. But also I think it hits differently coming from a character who like doesn't have any really like knowledge of, of what was going on with them or he, he doesn't really even know like what was motivating her to go into this battle or any of the background there. But he's so respectful in the way that he like talks to her and really tries to understand like where she's coming from before just you know he doesn't even say like you don't love him or you like why don't you just be with me instead he's just like offering her options <laughs> and i right. think the way he does it, man who would have thought that tolkien writes romance well but here it is <laughs> yeah well tolkien had himself had like a lifelong marriage right with his wife that he wasn't tolkien like basically a wife guy I think he was, like, a wife guy, but also their marriage kind of, like, had problems when he was super focused on writing these books. <laughs> oh, okay. I was gonna say, maybe, like, he secretly knew everything there is to know about relationships. Yeah. Navia, did you have your favorite moment that you wanted to share? Yeah, it's at the very beginning, where 
um she's like coming to him and she's like hey can can you get can you be the steward and please get this guy to let me out of here because i need to go to the battlefield where everyone is mm-hmm. and i think we all know what aragorn would have said in the same position where he would have just been like oh it is not your duty to go to the battlefield or you need to stay here mm-hmm. and heal or whatever it is but faramir is like he literally is just like no like logically you can't make it in time <laughs> and i love that response because it means that he takes her seriously as a person he takes her seriously as a warrior he knows that she could go to the mm-hmm. battlefield if it was like feasible at all and he's just like no stay here because you know first of all we both need to heal and also like you you genuinely cannot make it there in time uh, and if you were healed better you will die better I think he says something like that too, right? Yeah, and he also says something about like how she's not healed enough to ride fast enough, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Love it. We love a respectful man. <laughs> yeah. I will say my favorite moment, because I loved both of those, but I think for me, the moment that really hit me as like, this isn't, I mean, it feels like a real romance because it's not just one person having feelings at another person, which was kind of how it felt with Eowyn and Aragorn, right? Is like, she's having all these feelings at him and he's just like, okay, and like patting her on the head and being like, run along now. But the bit where he says, Eowyn, I would not have this world end now or lose so soon what I have found. And then she says, I know not what in these days you have found that you could lose. Which is just like such a little subtle thing, right? But she knows that he's talking about her because he hasn't been subtle about like declaring his attraction or his feelings. And just that little bit of like the friendship that we have built over the days of spending time together and like walking together and talking with each other is not something that is going away is really, like, we don't get to see... I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, that was part of the reason why I came into the Aragorn Arwen thing, being like, we don't know how either of these people really, like, feel about each other. We've never really seen them interact for any kind of extended period of time. And here, just this little moment of Eowyn being like, you're not going to lose me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, like, to reassure him... When he is worried, where it's not just, like, him always supporting her, but her also being like, no, I care about you, too, right? Like, and maybe it's not love yet, but I care about you. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> it's an interesting, like, it's it, it's just a very interestingly located um, thing, like, part of the plot. Like, Tolkien could have mm-hmm. put this in a lot of different places, but he puts it here at this moment right before the legend of Aragorn begins, right? Or like the legend of King Elisar begins. And it's almost like he's mm-hmm. using this to show, you know, Eowyn really wanted to be, really wanted to like go down in history. She wanted glory. And mm-hmm. so do many people who are participating in historical events. And there's this, I, I, it's almost like Tolkien's saying there is there is a moment in, in the course of events like this where some people just realize, hey, I took part in this, but I am never going to have the glory. It's never, it's not going to be my name in the book, although she is in the book. And what do you do then, right? Like you make a life Mm -hmm. and Sam does that too at a certain point. And this is kind of the, this feels like the beginning of the gradual, uh, like denouement in the book where everyone is, everyone who's not 
you know, Frodo and Gandalf and Aragorn is like kind of figuring out, all right, what do I do now? And I think it's just, I think it's just so beautifully rendered and, and like, it's written as though Tolkien has been preparing for this the entire time. Since we all like love this so much, can I say one thing I hated? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> just to keep it pessimistic. No, I think um, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what it is too. So there's this moment at the end where, like, the minute that Eowyn decides that she's in love with Faramir, everyone's like, "She is healed. They are healed. It's fine. Everything is good now." And I, I would just like to point out that this is a complex character whose only problem was not heartbreak. She had a whole thing going on about the cage of being a woman and wanting to do more and wanting mm-hmm. more glory. And that had nothing to do with her being in love with Aragorn or like wanting love in her life. And like, right. None of that has changed. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really felt like that was paired with her being like, I will give up the sword and be somebody who makes things grow. And on the one hand, I'm like, you know what? We love somebody who has been through war coming out of it and being like, I don't want to hurt things anymore. I just want to, like, cre- like help life flourish. And, like, that in and of itself, I don't disagree with. But the shift in Eowyn, I'm like, I don't know if I love this for you specifically. It's just so abrupt. None of her problems are really solved other than the Aragorn component. Yeah. Well, I do think, like, part of the part of her problem is solved in that, like, she was a fighter because of the times that she lived in. And she was aware of like all of mm-hmm. the enemies that her people had. And a lot of that was like built up around protecting Theoden. And now Theoden is dead. He died a hero's death and mm-hmm. Sauron is gone. And peace has been made between, and Saruman's gone, probably more importantly. So that does remove a lot of the incentive for her to be dedicated to being a fighter. But I did think that there was something out of place about her switch to being like, okay, I'm going to become a gardener and a healer. <laughs> like, you don't have to yeah. decide that right now, dude. Yeah, maybe I see like a career coach or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think I actually would have preferred, what I would have liked to see is to see her be like, I got my moment, moment of glory in battle. Like, that's what I was looking for. This is the thing that's, you know, going to go down in the books mm-hmm. as she's the one who killed the Witch King and I'm happy with that. And now I'm ready to settle down. That would have been fine with me. But just this whole thing of like, oh, well, now she's in love and now she's a womanly woman who gardens. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know, though. Like, I guess now that I think about it more, it's it's sort of like she did have she, you know, she is a hero in the yeah. story and she did get her moment of glory. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's it's sort of like becoming it's like she chooses to to go on and to be with Faramir as like part of her choice to like continue living. Like she's like, I didn't really see a future for myself beyond this, but I am open to change. And like, I am, I'm, I, it's almost like she's like choosing to be with him more because she like, she like wants to have a future than because she's like crazy, crazy, crazy about him. Yeah. Maybe. I think that kind of ties back to your original question, Ashani, which we've just completely derailed from. Sorry. That's uh, okay. <laughs> but you were talking about how Eowyn is, like, where she is at mentally at the beginning of this chapter. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we should because we're talking about, okay, so love as potentially like healing or this shift towards growth and living as healing. But I think then the context for that is we've got to talk about where she starts because all three of us pulled out the line that she says towards the beginning of the chapter, which is, it is not always good to be healed in body. And she says this, talking to Faramir, she's saying, like, let me go, let me leave the houses of healing. It is, yes, I'm physically recovering, but it is not always good to be healed in body. And I think we maybe, well, I don't know. How did you guys read that line? I think we all had very different readings of it. Well, she says it in, she says it to the warden, actually, the of the houses of healing, right? Oh, does she? Okay. So, yeah. Sure. But yes. she says it to him, like, as part of this, she's trying to get him uh, to, like, adopt a totally different strategy. She's like, stop healing people and start conscripting little boys to go to war. Seems to be what she is saying. And in that context, she says, also, it's not always good to be healed in body. And I was like, whoa, like, desire for self-harm much? Like, that's like what what is it that you are like what is it that you are wanting right now because like having been there having like i've i to a place where like you're sort of like my wounds are like the most meaningful part of me that's mm-hmm. that seemed like she was uh confused i guess i had a very different interpretation um of this line i think you know objectively you can't read the beginning of this chapter without knowing that eowyn is like still in a very dark place um, she has woken up from her battle with the Witch King that she entered into hoping to die on the battlefield in glory, basically still wanting to die in glory on the battlefield. Like her desire for death hasn't really changed at this point, I think. Um, but I interpreted the line as having to do more with like it being easier to explain uh, like physical injury or like the physical state of your body to others and to society than than mental well-being and i think like this is definitely an experience that i've had where i've almost wished that there was something like physically wrong with me as opposed to whatever i was experiencing mentally at the time just so people would like understand how much pain i was in um it's just easier to have i think some somebody see that you know you you're recovering from a stab wound or something like that and understand how much pain you're in all the time than to try to explain to them what's going on internally and i thought that maybe like tolkien was also kind of trying to talk about how it, basically we turn our attention away from the mental costs that soldiers experience in war um very easily as a society. I know that that's a lot to read into one line, but <laughs> that, that's just where my mind went. I mean, it's clearly an impactful line because without talking about it, right, all three of us went, okay, there's something here. Like, that is not the kind of statement that you make without having some intention behind it, either as a character or I think as an author. I don't think you write that kind of statement Unless you really feel like, hey, there's there is something that this character is experiencing that would make them drop something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't I mean, 
you know, I don't think any of us are like that far off from each other. Well, how did you read it? First of all, I don't think you gave your interpretation. Yeah, well, so the, I'm, I'm I'm working all on right, that. Right. I'm building up towards evasion. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, because what I was gonna say is like the two facets, right? That like sort of it feels a little like there's shades of self harm. It feels a little bit like it's this piece of the physical wounds have healed and the mental haven't necessarily. And sometimes it's easier to say there's a physical wound. And I think for me, the the kind of other facet that I was seeing was this piece of just very simply wishing she hadn't been healed, right? Wishing that things had gone differently on the battlefield and she hadn't walked away from it. And there's kind of that piece of like, yeah, sure, she's healed in body, but she doesn't really want to be because now she is tasked with trying to figure out what living means. And she doesn't really want to at this point. I mean, she says very explicitly, you know, I wish to ride to war like my brother Aomer, or better, like Theoden King, for he died and has both honor and peace. And she says that like a page later, right? And so to me, that is very much like, I, it is better to not be healed, sometimes better not to be healed in body is like, I wish I hadn't walked away from that battlefield, right? And things would have been easier mm-hmm. if I hadn't, which to me doesn't feel all that different from what either of you two were saying. Yeah, I think they're all connected. I think they're all like multiple facets of what she's experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I like I, I appreciate that way of like tying it together, Ishani, because I mean, there's... Yes, like, I think that there is something undeniably, like, self-destructive about the things that she's saying and about the things that she's recommending Mm -hmm. that the warden do. Like, she's basically saying it's, like, shades of Denethor, honestly. She's, like, in a sort of different direction. She's, like, Mm -hmm. why, you know, Sauron's gathering armies. What are we doing here healing people? Um, That doesn't make any sense. And so there's something definitely self-destructive in that. But there's also something, like logical about it that you sort of have to you have to respect right like she you know she doesn't see much of a reason to go on living when it seems like everything is crumbling around her she basically thinks as long as as long as we're coming to this like doom we might as well just go all out in fighting it and you know like we the readers know that everything's going to be fine and we're kind of like oh aon but that's not what she sees. Yeah. The I mean, Gondor doesn't know that objectively yet. Right. Also, like, let's be real. I know Thea didn't put her in, in interim charge, but, like, she would have been a terrible leader for her people. <laughs> like, her head was not in the game at all. Yeah. This is sort of, like, the final the final nail in that coffin. <laughs> yeah, she, like, she would have gone yeah. back to Rohan and, like, started conscripting little girls into war. <laughs> like, <laughs> it does. I mean, I know we have, like, so, listeners, we have floated the idea of potentially doing the Tortle books after this um, as if we decide we want to continue the pod. Is that how but, you like, pronounce it? very that? much Alana. Sorry. It took know. me to a second like, to figure out what it. you were talking about. I was like, what Pokemon is I that? Not- <laughs> It's, yeah, sorry. It's the, Continue. Pierce it's the Tamora Pierce line. I've yeah. always said Tortal, but that's fine. No, I've always said <laughs> I've also, I've also said Tortal, and I've I've been thinking that Shawnee said it weird since we were like eight years old. <laughs> 
and I find out now, God, on the podcast, (laughs) um, betrayal. Anyways, my point being, right, it feels very like Alana choosing, or do you say Alana too? I do say Alana, Um, actually. Oh, fuck you both. (laughs) (laughs) Do you say Colorado out of curiosity? Sometimes. (laughs) All right, we're we're off the rails. Oh, Rides like a man from Colorado. <laughs> back to the original yeah. point. <laughs> well, like the whole, you know, it's the thing about like some people are better knights than they are queens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like Eowyn is a better knight than she is a queen. Although Aragorn does make Faramir into a prince, so she has to kind of deal with that. Yeah, she is still like in some facet, like. A lady who will have the responsibilities of being married to somebody who has mm-hmm. responsibilities, I guess. I was just gonna say, it seems like they're like Faramir will partner with her on that in a very healthy way, where like he's not going to tell her what her duty is or, you know, assume that she can't do something because she is a woman in some way. Like he's he's presented himself here as somebody who's really gonna be partnering with her in everything. I mean, let's be real, like, they're both, they're both pretty aloof people. Like, the first time that we meet Faramir, we don't get the sense that he's, like, a brass tacks kind of dude. Like, he's just like, let me give you the complete history of the men of Numenor, and let me tell you where I think it all went wrong. He's like my uncle who's really into hydroplanes, and Eowyn is like my aunt who's really into gardening. Like, they're, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to be an Athelion and be excited about being around each other, and Faramir is going to continue to unearth or exhume old old mantles and capes that he thinks would look good on Eowyn for some sentimental reason. He also does bring up Numenor again in this chapter. <laughs> so he's clearly got a bit of an obsession. <laughs> no, Faramir is the guy that reads a lot of Lincoln biographies. Alright, that's it. That's the character interpretation. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I do like that Aragorn, like he says to Aragorn, like, I'm trying to surrender my office. And Aragorn says to him, no, I'm going to keep your office. Uh, so mm-hmm. he he does remain the steward as well as becoming a prince. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, honestly, smart governance is you want to keep qualified people in positions of leadership. And especially if you're a new ruler to say like hey the person who's been managing like whose family has been managing the city this whole time probably a good person to keep in a management position because they have all of the like on the ground experience of doing it although denethor was not the best at that (laughs) no but it is also a really good way to like get you know get the people's buy-in right where the steward is still the Mm -hmm. steward so they don't have to worry that this king has just come to usurp all the power not trying to raw dog the monarchy. <laughs> I, I actually wanted to... You said something... I don't know. Sorry that you have to edit this. This is all over the place. But you said something about Eowyn being shades of Denethor. And um, I was thinking about how, like, maybe the reason that Faramir is so good at talking to her and handling mm. her is because, I mean, kind of had to do that this whole time. Oh, man. Mm. <laughs> That's... Yeah. I mean, he does do something, like, right at the top, he does something where I was like, oh, okay, that's actually really kind of smart or, like, emotionally 
sense, not even like emotionally sensitive, but it's just a very tactful little thing, right? Where he basically goes, it would help me. Like, I would feel better if you could come out and walk with me and spend some time with me. And you don't have to talk if you don't want to, but like, I would feel better if you would come and spend time with me rather than being like, girl, you need to go touch grass. <laughs> right. Which is probably what he's thinking. But he's he doesn't say it that way. He says, like, it would help me if you do this. Yeah. And that I'm like, oh, like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like you have understood that saying it the other way, being like, you need to do this mm. is not going to go over well. And it's also perfect because what she's been asking for is something to do. And so it gives her a task, mm-hmm. right? She can now mm-hmm. help him in his healing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about about Faramir and Denethor, because it, it also like makes me think about how, to the extent that Eowyn is kind of making a compromise and choosing to go on being alive and giving up being a, a warrior queen, Faramir is also making some compromises. Like, you don't really get the sense that he has longed his whole life to be Prince of Athelion and to be the steward of Gondor, right? He never expected to be in that office. And so he's probably also in a very confused place, right? Where he's like, I've never, you know, I I was not marked for the stewardship. Um, It's really unclear what I'm going to become now because there's this new king. And they're both looking for something to hold on to. And they managed to hold on to each other in a very functional way. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's how we transition to talking about Frodo and Sam. The other functional relationship. And I don't know. Do I... <laughs> yeah. Segway. Yeah, totally smooth <laughs> segue. Well, and I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to be the only person talking about this just because it showed up in my notes. Like, no, I thought it was no, so but like, give us the intro because, yeah, you, I mean, I want to give you the credit of being the one who picked this out because neither of us did, but we will talk about it with you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, basically in reading this chapter, the thing that jumped out at me at the end, like by the time I reached the end of the Faramir Eowyn section, was that there were a lot of parallels between Sam and Frodo, who we just saw, like literally just left, and then Faramir and Eowyn. Because there's a lot of behaviors that they do the same way, right? Like they hold hands. Uh, We know, like, Frodo and Sam walk down the mountain holding hands, right? Which is very sweet, very cute, 10 out of 10. And then Faramir and Eowyn are holding hands. The brow kissing between Sam and Frodo may have already happened at least once, definitely happens at the end of the books. Um, I'm mostly remembering from the movies that, like, the brow kissing happens at the end, but it might have also happened, like, when Sam thought Frodo was dead. They do smooch a lot. Um... And then there was also like this thematic parallel, right? Because we have in both Sam and Faramir, someone who is saying things look really bad and I am absolutely struggling with pessimism and despair and the fear that the world is literally ending around us. But I care about you and I don't want to lose you and I'm going to do what I can to make sure that I don't lose you. And then in Frodo and A, when we have the people who are like, all I can think about is this kind of deep, dark pit that I'm in and I can't really see my way out of it. But their kind of counterparts are staying there, like saying, holding out a hand, right? And saying, I can't fix this for you, 
walk with me, right? Come with me and I will do what I can to walk alongside you as we go through this together. And that just really like I was because you had said one of you said something about like it's interesting that Tolkien chose to place this chapter here. And I think it's particularly interesting because we just left Sam and Frodo. And so to me, the parallels are right there. It's not like, oh, I'm remembering this from three books ago. It's like, no, no, no. I'm remembering this from like a chapter ago Yeah, that so much of this Four stuff ones. just happened. Right. I mean, and I don't, want, I don't want to take this opportunity to just bang on my hot take, but the Frodo and Sam relationship and the Eowyn uh, Faramir relationship and also like you know, you could extend it to other relationships like uh, Gimli and Legolas, like it really hits home that, you know, for one thing, Tolkien does not see or does not really care about differences in sex or gender um, when he's writing what he sees as like kind of the ideal loving relationship. But also it's not, he doesn't really make things sexy. Like that's just not in his nature. And Mm -hmm. the, you know, say what you will about his choice to all but eliminate the relationship from, you know, between Aragorn and Arwen from the main text, but the movies to contrast, like really sucks up the Aragorn Arwen relationship. And, and it's gross. And it's gross. <laughs> like it's yeah, just, weird. it's just, not... I mean, it's not sexy. Yeah. yeah. Aragorn is sexy, but it's, it's like, awkward. Yeah. It yeah. feels really out of place. You're totally right. Yeah, and I think like it to introduce something like that in this chapter would mm-hmm. have been very like just would have been very stark and might have you know kind of cast a shadow over the Faramir Erwin relationship, Eowyn relationship and all the like other really great relationships that are less kind of you know medieval romantic, legend romantic and more, like, realistic. Yeah, I mean, I think what Tolkien writes really well are friendships. And the friendship between Eowyn and Faramir definitely happens first in this chapter. And I think anybody who is in a long-term relationship will tell you that friendship is an important component of it, because guess what? You've spent a lot of time together. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. as the token married person on this podcast, I will tell you that if you're spending every single day many hours a day with somebody that you're not friends with it's gonna be a problem (laughs) so i think there is a component where like even i don't think tolkien is intentionally writing some of these relationships as like gay relationships like i don't think forget the frodo and sam thing i think i don't think he intended legolas and gimli to like be in love in that romantic way but he writes Mm -hmm. their friendship as really strong and that makes it a powerful relationship um and also, like, going back to, you know, him being kind of a wife guy, like, I, I imagine he probably had a really strong friendship with his wife. I don't know. I have no facts to back that up. But <laughs> they were married for a really long time. Uh, and I I also wanted to talk about something that you said, Ishani, about the hand-holding, which is that Tolkien is from an era where hand-holding was essentially the extent that a relationship could go to for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um it was a key component of courtship because courtship was still quite formalized as a process in that time, I think. And so that kind of makes his choice to include it as part of Sam and Frodo's friendship even more powerful because he clearly sees it as like transcending into something else. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny because Tolkien doesn't include like any I guess he I I'm trying I'm thinking about whether Tolkien is sex positive or sex negative because <laughs> there is no negative sex that takes place in this book. Yeah. Right. Is there sex maybe... that takes place in this book? Right. There's there's but there's not even like allusions to like rapes. Uh mm-hmm. there's it's like Tolkien has basically just decided I'm going to scrub all the sex out of this book and the good with the bad. There's not going to, no one is, no one is ever sexually assaulted. It's not Game of Thrones, but also nobody has a sexy, like, I, I don't prioritize the sexy in my writing of relationships, even romantic relationships. Yeah. I don't know why he made that choice, but it's a very obvious. I mean, product choice. of the times, probably, right? Like, I think. Yeah, but there are put, books imagine... from this time that, like, allude to sex heavily. Yeah, I sure. Think that, like, Henry Miller was writing around the same time, so it's... But you're, like, you're looking at a totally different audience, right? Like, the linguistics nerd that Tolkien (laughs) is, like, the the peak Tolkien audience, right? Like, the ideal Tolkien audience member, to Tolkien's mind, was somebody who was probably... I mean, I'm assuming, like, somebody who was going to appreciate all of the intense, like... God, I mean, at, at one point in this chapter, he's like, let me tell you the lineage of this fucking tree. Because, yeah. you know, that was how Tolkien's brain worked. And so I don't think that that audience necessarily is the, oh, we're in this book for the sexy. They're in this book for the the tree genealogy. Right. Yeah, yeah. with the exception of Tom Bombadil, who's clearly a freak. So Yeah, who definitely <laughs> fucks. <laughs> he and Goldberry get up to no good. <laughs> Goldberry is kind of like an inherently sexual name. She's yeah. also like physically a river. So. <laughs> just, just throw yourself naked into the river and it is having sex. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that really. Just it just uh leapt out to me for the very first time. It was it was just funny because we're most of the way through this series and it's never occurred to me how little sex there is how zero sex there is mm-hmm. in these books you know like the only time we really talked about it was thinking about how the ants reproduce yeah yeah and part of the reason we might not have like it may not have come up up until this point is because quite frankly there hasn't been a lot of like romance of the traditional sort because there haven't been a whole lot of women in this right. whole series. Yeah, right? so when you like, said this is the most functional relationship, I was like, well, it's the only woman that's been around. So, <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, right, is you can sit there and go like Frodo and Sam, whether or not you read that as romantic or platonic, like has a lot of the same elements. But given the times, Tolkien was not going to have them like kiss on the page. Right. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're saying like, yes, this was a romantic relationship, wasn't necessarily going to show the kind of physical intimacy that he would be able to show between a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is also like this is our first on page kiss. Yeah, that's very yes, important. I think that is true. Right. I I mean, did who, we see Arwen and Aragorn do anything in Fellowship? No. Or just, like, gaze longingly? I think they just gaze longingly. They don't even do that. You mean in the books? Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a moment, I'm pretty sure, in Fellowship that Frodo When they're all at dinner, that, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. They do gaze longingly. But it's yeah. brief. And then we know that Sam, like, obviously has mentioned Rosie Cotton a few times, so he's got something mm-hmm. on the back of his mind, but... yeah. But I don't know that, like, she's really shown up on the page yet, other than no. in Sam's recollections. Yeah. Galadriel so. and Eowyn are the only women that we've had any real interaction with in this book. Yeah. Well, and I guess, like, sort of to own myself, there is a reference to a rape, right, of uh, some Arwen's relative, right? Or Arwen's mom. Yeah, Arwen's mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, I because that. then that's why she's gone. Right. But that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- but even that is like, like a one line reference. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's like, there's no references to like certain like women back home as being hot. There's like, there's nothing of that sort. It's like Tolkien yeah. sort of new, like, like you're saying, Ashani, we want to keep this laser focused on the lineage of trees. <laughs> and if we make references to asses and titties, there's just people are not going to be able to stay focused. <laughs> On the most important us, thing. Uh, us reading the Tortal books. <laughs> right, exactly. God, it's so weird to me that you say it that way. <laughs> you pronounce it like a Pokemon. It's not my fault. <laughs> you also pronounce it like a Pokemon. Let's not pretend that, like, Tortal doesn't also sound like a Pokemon. Less than Tortle. <laughs> I gotta side with Navi on this one. Yeah, you would. Tortle's a Pokemon name. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think you could you could throw the argument in there that maybe Tolkien felt like the war was on everyone's mind and that's why there were no romances happening but I think we all know that that's not how war works and that is the time that the most romances happen out of desperation yeah come on guys we all watched Mulan we all remember a girl worth fighting for like we know exactly Exactly. thanks for listening to one does not simply this episode was edited by Ashani you can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to. Our detour into the pronunciation of Tortal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're gonna Colorado. just. I mean, I do say Colorado also. No, Colorado is correct. I... You don't say Colorado. No, I don't. Yeah, but people so from Colorado say... say Colorado. Yeah, which is I hate it. Stop it, everyone from Colorado.